This is CliffCentral.com. 360biz on CliffCentral.com. Good afternoon and thank you for tuning in to another amazing installment um, of 360biz. I say amazing. I mean, the vibe has just been amazing. I don't know if it's the summer, springy vibe going on, but everyone is just so excited and happy every, all around me. Clients are happy, but you know, I started this new thing, right? And I'm counting down the days till the end of the year because I kind of still feel like the year is not over, right? Everyone is going into relax mode, but I kind of feel like we still could put in some work. I mean, today's what 91 days till the year ends. I don't know if you guys knew that, but you can still put in uh, 90 days more of effort, 90 more days of fun. You can mix it and balance it. Today, I've got two amazing guests in studio, or rather, thank you. Before I jump into that, thank you for joining in. 360 biz. I'm flying solo today. Teho, wherever you are. Hello, Deboho. I know that you're down in Cape Town doing some work. Hello to you too, my brother. I've got two amazing guests in studio today. And today we're talking about doing business in Africa. And one gentleman, I think, wrote a book and spoke about how Africa is open to business. And in the different conversations I've been having, I think on a personal capacity, right? We're talking to different uh, stakeholders. I mean, in the work that we do, one of the key questions that we're starting to get now, it's no longer are you guys doing it all over Africa? But it's really now what part of what 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 areas in the SADC region are you guys covering? What areas in Africa are you guys reaching? And it started opening up uh, eyes to possibly looking at um, facilitating engagements, especially because some of the work that we do is in the tech space, right? Engaging with entrepreneurs in Upper Kenya and other parts of the SADC and start to explore the vast or the richness that is Africa because it seems like the whole world has taken a keen interest in Africa. Why are Aren't we as Africans taking a keen interest in our own Africa? Joining today in studio, I've got two amazing guests. I'm gonna give them an opportunity. Wow, I've been saying amazing. That means it feels like it's a very good day. I'm gonna give them an opportunity to greet our guests. So, Brian, could you please uh, greet our guests? Take <laughs> could you please take the opportunity to just greet our guests? Tell them who you are and what it is you do. Good afternoon there listeners I'm delighted to be on the show Fantastic to meet Bulalani And, and the other guest with me Adajani And uh, he will be introducing himself I run a, an exponential leadership company We do work not only across South Africa But across Africa And also into other parts of the world Where we very simply put We do a number of things That gets people to change The lenses that they look at their lives And the world through And the vantage point from which they look at it And take deeply reflect of journeys uh, to greater levels of self-awareness, engagement, and accomplishment, and being able to operate in, a, in this new and rapidly changing, uncertain, and ambiguous world uh, where in which they're able to apply different styles of leadership and different approaches to work and to business and to unlock the opportunities that exist both around them and beyond them uh, and enable, importantly, to transfer opportunity to other people. Yes, sir. Yeah, thank you, uh, Bulalani, for having me on 360Biz. I'm excited to be here. I've heard so much about this great station. I believe you're about four years old. And, uh, yeah, I'm happy to be here. My, my claim to fame, I'm a wine consultant, so I get people drunk slowly. But <laughs> I, I never, I never sell on price, so I only deal in quality wines, especially around the triangle of Stellenbosch, Pal, and a place called Franchuk. Um, also, I'm an Africa analyst. I've been on radio for the last three years. I'm also the founder of uh, a YouTube television called Nigeria Diaspora Television. Uh, 
and also the founder of African Wine Circle. I have lived in Ghana, been in South Africa for more than a decade, and I've also lived in the UK and Nigeria. So that's what I do. Yeah, before we jump into anything, I think my opener today is Africa continues to continues its recovery from the 40, 2014 commodity price slump. Concerns are emerging that un, uh, unsustainable debt pos- uh, unsustainable debt possesses the next great risk in the continent. According to Brooks, the media debt to GDP ratio in Africa has increased dramatically in the recent years, jumping from 34% in 2013 over to 53. That's a big jump. Over to 53% in 2017. Debt levels now exceed 50% in 20, 50% in the 25, in 25 of the regions, um, throughout the 45, throughout the 45 countries compared to just 11 in 2013. So I think this, I think just, I think, I think this, um, this write up or rather this open up by the producer was just to highlight the different challenges that we faced with. But I think that on a more positive note, we're also faced with a lot of opportunities and greatness that is all around us, right? So, I mean, Brian, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at your business card, right? And I, I, well, you probably get this question a lot yeah. why merchant of hope uh, i'm i'm definitely what one would define as a corporate refugee um or a conformity anarchist i'm a bit of a revolutionary in the sense of of wanting to provoke non-traditional thinking and to take people out of the space of of fear motivation which so many people operate from they work from a space of avoiding loss avoiding fear and in that way, they immediately confine and restrict themselves in terms of what they potentially could become. So we work with very significant companies, multinationals across the globe in transforming their leaders and, and in a revolutional way and in a, rever- in, in a sustainable way. And, and that brings, to, you know, in the absence of hope, people lose everything. Hope is the one thing that people can hold on to. And it's so important, in, particularly starting in South Africa, where we sit with 50% unemployment with our youth. If we don't create hope for them, and hope isn't just through through rhetoric and through clever words. It's about putting in place mechanisms, uh, formal mechanisms and, 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 and uh, indirect mechanisms to enable companies to succeed and to flourish, particularly in the SME sector. Um, if every SMME could hire one or two extra people, we would create jobs for hundreds of thousands of people. Mm. And particularly if we hired unskilled people and skilled them up, and that's something that we as an organization continually continue to do. But really what's for me is important is helping people to realize that they always are more than what they've become, that their best is yet to come, and how to get out there and seek it and find it. And then, I mean, do you find that people are open to this? Are receptive to this? I don't know if it's a new way or new wave of thinking, or are the capacity building strategies that you're bringing to the fore. Hugely so, you know, and particularly once they've experienced some of it, and they realise that by taking just little steps of change and having winning experiences, you know, self isn't something that's waiting to be discovered. You know, you don't go out on a journey and suddenly it's five miles out of Paris, you run into yourself. You know, self is waiting to be created. And you create self through the pursuit of meaningful, progressive, worthwhile personal goals. And it's about helping people to, to dream, helping people to realize that, that, you know, you can't always control what happens to you. And you can't always 
control and influence your circumstances, but you can change what you do and how you approach it and how you see it, and, and you can move in and through and beyond where you are. And I believe that that is such an important message into Africa. And uh, I, I did a lot of work in, in the early 2000s with a, a very wonderful man, Everest Ekong. Mm. He used to have a publication called Business in Africa. And we, we, uh, we co-sponsored um, a program uh, that ran every year, which was Leaders in Africa um, conference, which was run in, in South Africa. Tabo and Becky opened the first one, and we had visitors from 20 to 40 different African countries coming in to the delegates to, to the program and all so interested in just looking to see, let's put all the, the, the non-issues aside and let's just deal with how do we create sustainable iconic leaders at all levels into Africa and, and build economies of substance. And that for me is, is what I want to see. How do we create sustainable, inclusive economies and societies? And you do that through building the right levels of leaders. Hmm. Wow, I like that. We're going to delve more into that. So, I mean, Aditunji, how did you get into the space that you're in? Well, look, I've done uh, quite a few U-turns and D-turns. I mean, yeah. backgrounds, first degree in sociology, master's in communications. Then I went to do law because my father was a professor of law. And then after that, I did stockbroking. And when I came to South Africa, I tried to become a lawyer. It was quite tough. I talk about Section 14 of the Attorneys Act of 1979 and it says for you to be a lawyer in South Africa you must be A you must do your articles your qualifications must be equal to or superior to a South African LLB and on top of that you got to write the board exams so it was very tough so what did I do? I defaulted back to my stockbroking qualifications got myself a job with Old Mutual and I was very lucky that because most of the work as a private wealth management consultant at the time, was legal technical skills. Mm. So I was able to use my legal training to be able to work very efficiently, and I managed to become top of the country. But when I tried to get up, I tried to move up in the company, and it was quite tough. I tried to move sideways. It was quite tough. So I moved out, and then I went into the wine business. And the reason why I went into the wine business was because as a Nigerian at the time, whenever I called anyone to say, Come and invest through me into the mutual. There's ish at the Tunji, man. It's tough. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough. The, the reputation yeah. of Nigerians at the time was quite tough. <laughs> so I had to use wine dinners to schmooze my prospects. So I'll invite them to Melrose Arch. I'll fly a winemaker over, hoodwink my manager to pay for me because we had a branch marketing budget. And I would then hoodwink the guy to pay for me. And so I'll get 20 prospects to Melrose Arch. If you remember the communal tables. And that was how I was able to build. Because I literally took one of the job descriptions that you must network and retain business in the high income space. Mm. Of course, I wasn't being paid well. But I, I managed to fake it till I made it. So, but anyway, you know, looking at Africa, business in Africa, what I always say, a simple logic. First of all, I say to people, if you want to go and do business in Ghana and you're South African, the first logic is, okay, you don't have any friends in Ghana. You've never been there. So why do you think that people have embassies? Why do you think there are embassies in Pretoria of every single country? If you go to the embassy of the uh, Ghana's embassy, they would have a head of transfer. They will have a head of trade. They will have a head of information. And the job of those guys is to ensure that they get business into their country. A lot of Africans don't even know that they have to go to an embassy. All they do is, oh, they want to get a visa 
and then they go to that country and they start everything from scratch. And the reason why I know this very well was that when I wanted to do business in Ghana, just to register my company was a nightmare because when I flew there to register the company, everything was paper-based. There was no technology. There was no computers. There was files. If you saw where the files were, you'd be very, very worried about your business even taking off. And what then happened was after having done all the requirements, I flew back to Johannesburg and they called me from Ghana. I said, oh, Mr. Motola, you have to come back to Ghana. I said, I don't live in Ghana. He said, no, 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 no. There's a signature that is required on one form M1 whatever. <laughs> and I had to fly back. I had to fly back uh, to Ghana. So doing business oh. in Africa is very tough. But the background that we need to apply is, yes, there's a lot of countries we're taking up debt, especially, I mean, historically it used to be IMF debt, used to be World Bank debt, right? Mm-hmm. Before the huge growth in commodity prices and the growth of China. But now it's Chinese debt, right? So $60 billion was promised at FOCAC in 2015 in Johannesburg by Xi Jinping. And now another $60 billion has been promised just a few weeks ago. And all of Africa's leaders were there bar one or two. But the irony is that Africa has no business going around borrowing money from China or whoever because we have all the resources we need. We have lakes, we have rivers, we have oceans, we have bauxite, we have manganese, we have aluminium, we have copper, we have cobalt, we have oil. Nigeria produces 2 million barrels of oil a day. It's about $85, million, $85 per barrel. You press the calculator, you won't be able to even read it out. It's such a huge figure. But the problem is that Africa, we are still bogged down with silly things. I mean, presidents using private jets. I mean, Nigeria, the federal government of Nigeria has 14 private jets. We have 469 members of parliament that rely on about $1 billion. To fund our parliament is about a billion dollars. We have 36 provinces in Nigeria. Many of those states can't even pay salaries Mm. of their teachers and doctors. We have not invested in roads. We have not invested in hospitals. We have not invested in schools. So if we're borrowing money, and putting the money into hospitals and roads, and putting money into books, and putting money into technology, putting money into energy, then that would make sense. But the sad thing is that most of the money that has been borrowed is being used to pay salaries of police or buying aircraft. I mean, we just bought, we just went, if you remember, President Buhari was with Donald Trump a few weeks ago, and he ordered uh, some helicopters for the fight against Boko Haram, $500 million for helicopters that would not even arrive until... 2020. Do you know how many people can feed off $500 million? Hmm. So not that we don't need those helicopters, but we should be able to make those helicopters, Mm. at least components of them. So Africa needs serious investment in science and technology. We need to invest in energy. We we have no business generating 3,000 megawatts of electricity for 200 million people, whereas South Africa has 50,000 megawatts of electricity for 55 million people. And that's the conundrum. So, also, I think the, the, yeah, 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 one Brian, of the yeah. challenges just on the floor is, is the extent of ongoing bribery that's required, particularly in places like Nigeria, for, for the man in the street to get anything done and to get care of themselves. So they, 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 they're taking this whole chunk. The word they use is settlement. That's bribery right. is yeah, a bit yeah. more, that's, yeah. on, not portion enough. <laughs> so they say, Oga settlement. But I think it's not only that. Look, mm. the reason you have to first ask, what's the logic? If you pay people well, I was watching the Questman's business yesterday. And Amazon has just said, look, we're going to pay uh, the $15 an hour minimum wage for all our workers. 
and they have about 500,000 workers. And the minimum wage in America across the board is $7.25. So $7 and a quarter. And, you know, Benny Sanders, who is a socialist by excellence, said that, look, Amazon has done something extraordinary and they put the shot out there. So what I'm trying to say is that you, people will only be corrupt in the main when they are not well paid. Look, if a policeman is earning about $20 a month mm. or $50 a month, when he stops you and you don't have the, reg, uh, the requisite documentation, it's easy for him to ask you for a cold drink. But if you look at the, in London, where the policeman is even dressed, the gear he's got on is far more than the gear that you've got on. You know, he's got his walkie-talkie, he's got a book, he's got everything. He looks healthy, he's going to the gym, he's got gym membership, he's got a pension. He's not going to ask you for a bribe. So we need to invest in human capital. Yeah. And we need to pay salaries. And that is the critical challenge for African economies. So, you know, I was, I was part of, a, I think, I think I was part of a team, right? A, a team of young delegates was Derko. Mm. So they had Chinese young guys coming into the country and they were assembling young guys in the country to come and engage with them, right? So the engagements really were around, it was the SA China summit or something, right? Mm. I think a year ago. So the engagements really were from a youth perspective. What are, what could you guys do exchanges on, right? Mm. And it was so funny and I found it so interesting that they came in already with a list of things that they will never even engage you on and another list of things that they definitely want and they are non-negotiable on. And then you had yeah. South African young guys, right? My age and younger, uh, sitting there and they were all just not all, but that's discriminatory, right? But majority of them in the room were just sitting there thinking, what opportunities could we get in China in terms of job, in terms of tenders, in terms of so that the conversation then shifts, right? And then my question has always been, how do you get them to foster the 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 the, the African narrative, right? The narrative that says let's build our own helicopters, you know, let's 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 if we're gonna do trade um, exchanges or agreements with other countries, and we know that we are negotiating from a position of um, of strength because we've got the resources. We've got the minerals at any mm. given day. We could say we are not supplying anyone and we could disrupt the market. So with all this power, is it a case of we don't know that we have this power or is it just far more easier to relinquish it and give it off to someone else, Brian? It's a, such a good question because I think it, it speaks to intentionality. What, what actually, what is your motive? Why are you in it? What are you doing it for? And I think sadly, in so many instances, and we've seen it in big corporates in the world over through the 80s and 90s, through the long boom period, that it became a whole issue of take rather than give. It's all about what's in it for me. Uh, we've got so many nepotistic leaders that are all in pursuit of more, more, more. I want more power. I want more money. And in that, they then are not looking at what what's going to create a sustainable future play that's going to enrich our people and going to enrich the other people. I've, I've been amazed in t over time, in, 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 and I've dealt with executives across wide varieties of industries, but what's amazed me is how many of them have been quite proud of the fact that they negotiate win-lose deals. Why would you ever want to negotiate a win-lose deal? Why not leave something on the table for the next man and make sure that something's going to come off the back of it? But mm. when I'm just looking at, wow, look at what we can scoop nice and quickly and put in the coffers, and you've got that short-term mentality of short-term gain, then, then you know, there's a, there's a lack of, of strategy in respect to that. I think a, a great example to look to is Rwanda. 
in terms of where they've come and what they've done as a nation. It's an amazing country. It's cleaned up its act incredibly. It's a place of great opportunity. It's got the, the youth and the, and the youthfulness of their leaders in government there. It's quite remarkable. When you meet the various heads there, they are young people. They're energized. They're focused. They've got a society that's, that's got huge civic pride. It's one of the cleanest cities. Uh, Kigali is one of the cleanest cities, not only in Africa, but in the world. Um, so fantastic example there. In our own continent, landlocked a country, doesn't have sea, but it's doing great things. And there's a wonderful lesson to be learned from that and for us to take example from. Paritun, you saw your view? Yeah. Look, I always want to start from the premise of great leadership. Uh, because Africa, we, it's not that we haven't had great leaders like Kwame Nkrumah and, uh, guys like Inyerere and, uh, yeah. Nelson Mandela and so on. We've had at least uh, maybe about 20 great leaders in Africa that can compete with any great leader around the world. But if you remember what Kennedy said, John F. Kennedy, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. I think Africans are very relaxed. I think maybe it's the weather, maybe because we have pineapples and oranges and so many things dropping without us even having to bother. I think also, you know, we believe that we should import stuff. We like finished goods. We no longer, you know, use our hands. I mean, my grandmother worked in the textile industry and she made a lot of money from selling clothing. And when you even look at Africa, it's a joke. I mean, we have 33 currencies in Africa. Everything we do, if I want to buy something from, if I'm in Lagos and I want to import something from Cape Town, I'll first change the Naira to the dollar mm-hmm. then change it back to the Rand. Mm-hmm. The wine industry is the best expression. All transactions are done in the dollar. What that does is you no longer have regard for each other's currency. So if somebody comes from Ghana, a country that is 61 years old, into South Africa that is about 24 years old, they have to come in with the dollars. If they if they if they're lucky not to get robbed on the way to Santon, because they're these guys who are robbing uh, foreigners of their mm. foreign exchange, because they know that the foreigners coming around Africa, whether it's Angola or Nigeria, Ghana, they will have forex in their hand, and all they need is to follow them to their hotel and rob them as they they arrive, and that's rampant. But what I'm saying is, how many of us, even we that we're sitting here, we're in the knowledge industries and media and all of that. If I ask you to name 10 African currencies across the four uh, regions of Africa, from the Maghreb to East to West Africa and Sadak, we will struggle to name those currencies. And do you know the irony of it? Nigeria is the largest economy in Africa, but 25 African uh, currencies are stronger than the Naira. Hmm. And do you know that South Africa's rand... Nine African currencies are stronger than the South African rand. And you have uh, countries like Lesotho, Namibia, that are at par. And you can spend the South African rand in Lesotho, but you can't spend the, Les- uh, the Lesotho Maluti here. You can spend the South African rand in Namibia, but you can't spend the Namibian dollar here. So Africa, when I see all these AU leaders and they give all these big speeches about Africa free trade area. If we're trading in 33 different currencies, so a Nigerian who leaves Johannesburg will no longer spend a dollar again uh, or the rand when he gets to Nigeria. He spends the Naira, and the Naira has been fluctuating heavily, and so has the rand. So we need to begin to localize our intent in terms of our economies. We need to trade, I mean, 12% 
regional integration in Africa is only 12%, mm -hmm. and other regions like Asia and Europe is 70% and 50%. And also, when you look at airlines, for example, that carries people around, South Africa, we hear there's great stats, about 5 million tourists coming here every year. Mm -hmm. How many of those tourists fly into this country with South African Airways or any other African airline? And when you go across Africa, if you and I want to fly to Banjou, which is the capital of Gambia today, we have to go via another country. Or maybe if you, if you were able to get there, let's say you took a flight on a Wednesday and you got there on a Wednesday, for you to be able to get another direct flight, you have to wait for another week. So sure. it's, it's, it's those challenges that we have in terms of logistics, in terms of our currency, in terms of even trading with one another. Even inside South Africa, there's, there are nationalities of every African country in South Africa. But I challenge anyone to show me uh, I, I was saying that I want to see more of Dangote and Patrice Mosepe sitting together and talking mm. business, you know, not just at the wedding ceremony, mm. but sitting together and doing transactions, visible transactions. You know what I mean? And that's what we need to do. And Adetunji, have you come across the resistance to South Africans in other parts of Africa? Because we've, I found a number of instances going as far north as Ghana and others of, of people, in-country people, expressing a resistance to the perceived arrogance of South Africans because we feel that we're so much better than the, than the rest. No, I think, look, I think the challenge for South Africans, what I've heard from friends of ours is that, first of all, the most South Africans that are going into the continent, most of them, and that's the reality. They're big businesses. The companies yeah. that are going in are big yeah. businesses. And most of the time, they're normally Caucasians. And the Caucasians don't really understand the local nuance, the culture, and then they want to talk down to people. And so they're going to get, they're going to hit a brick wall there. So that's one. Secondly, when you go into a country, like I said before, you need to study the culture of the people, the mm. way of life, dress like them, maybe learn the, you know, mm. eat the local food, maybe mm. eat with your hands and so on. Once you're not um, inculcating the culture, the local culture, especially if it's a very strong local culture, like in Nigeria, you see people dressed with hats, they wear all these clothes. If you're not ready to begin on Friday, they don't wear fancy clothes like suits. Mm -hmm. They wear the local, you know, they go traditional. They call it traditional. If you're an expatriate, and there are many expatriates in the oil and gas, in the telcos, I mean, for example, mm. the CEOs of many of the South African companies are Caucasian. Mm. And, of course, people want to protect their business. They want to put their sure. best assets there. But it, there must be a cultural uh, enrichment on both sides. If a Nigerian comes to South Africa and they're working in South Africa, you know, the, the corporates are very good and say, you don't fit into the culture. Yeah. Of the organization. Even a South African might not be able to fit into the culture of a particular organization. Mm -hmm. So you have to embrace, maybe on Fridays, people go for rounds, they go and have drinks, you know, or they cycle on a Saturday. If you don't fit in, you won't be able to move mm -hmm. on. And that's, it's not only in Africa. I think it's a global trend. Even if you go to China, they tell you how you need to behave. Because if you say the wrong thing, or you do the wrong thing, mm -hmm. then it can spoil the whole mood and atmosphere so it's a global thing yeah. it's a cultural issue so i think for me so you, you touched on something that didn't say that most cases is big business right i think that's some of the things that i'm starting to realize right that it's really other businesses big business and it's a few of the individual 
um, you would find an entrepreneur, a Brian and whoever mm. going up into Africa to explore what Africa has to offer. But I think one of the conversations I was having with a, with a, with a, with a friend, I mean, with a friend of mine who travels quite a lot around the world, right? She was saying that maybe one of the reasons why, and maybe part the reason why a lot of people who are in Africa don't travel in and around Africa is because traveling or experiencing Africa in itself is expensive as opposed to going to European countries. What you, what are your thoughts on that? Hmm. Because, I mean, I've moved around a bit and I don't find Traveling it Traveling is expensive. <laughs> it's like dining. It's, it's like, it's like it's dining true. out. It's expensive. But I think just before Brian comes in, you see, anything you want to do, whether it's education, whether it's travel, whether it's property, you know, you have to have skin in the game, right? Yeah. So I, when I went to Ghana, for example, what I paid for rent for a year would have bought me a house in Soweto, Right. Easily, yes, $14,000 to pay rent in a place called Islegon. And the, the property, they say it's furnished, but it's sparsely furnished. Yeah. And I still had to buy a car. But fortunately, they were doing, yeah. uh, they were doing higher purchase. So I paid eight, uh, 50%. But the thing is, look, if you love Africa, right? There's so many ways to travel in Africa. So you can travel by bus. You can travel by hair. You can travel by, you know, you can do... South African Airways used to have the Africa Pass. Mm. I don't know if they still do, where you can link maybe so many countries together, or you fly into Nigeria, right? So a hub, and they start going by road, or you start flying, you know, the cheap airlines. Because if you want to use SAA to go to like ten countries, it becomes very expensive. Yeah, I th- exactly. I think it's it, it's what are you looking for and what are you doing? Are you traveling as a as from a leisure point of view and from a, a you know a, a vacational point of view? And then there's so many different ways that you can do it. You might want to do it in a luxury, luxurious way. Well, then it's going to cost you, and it's going to cost you in dollars. Mm. Um, but if you can, there are many ways that you could travel. Get into your Land Rover and 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 move up through it and 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 pick out the routes. And I think it all comes down to getting to know where you're going and 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 what's there. And that applies not only from a vocational perspective, it requires from a business perspective. Understand the markets that you're going into. What, where are their growth areas? Where are their demand areas? What are the nuances and things that are special about it? And establish whether or not what you've got to take to them even is relevant. You know, Rather than going and trying to create a market, uh, you would probably know all too well, You know, creating a market takes a long, long time. You know, uh, Pioneers normally get shot and, uh, and killed. It's the guys who come afterwards that, that make the money. So I think one has to be circumspect about it and not, and not just get Caught up in the in the romance of it and and thinking of it, uh, Africa's Africa's not for sissies, and Africa's mm. uh, a beautiful, amazing place that's got so much potential. It's going to be the continent of growth over the next uh, few decades. It's going to become incredibly populous. That's and 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 it has to be able to to cater for that. We're seeing that bandwidth is now no longer an issue with mm. the undersea cables that are on both the west and east coasts and access to. It. In fact, they've got way more bandwidth than what they've got. Uh, capability of using right now um, We for example Have, have developed a really exciting uh, Award winning Global award winning platform for um, Self coaching and, and leadership development 
via the, via your via your phone, via your iPad, via your your laptop, whatever you do, which means we can take a transformational leadership journey and 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 growth journey across a virtual space and take it to from a distance point of view. So it's not about just supplying information and content delivery. This is about enabling people to ask themselves the sort of questions that bring about a shift in perspective and a shift of change. And what we're needing to do is create that hope, that inspiration, and and getting people to take ownership for themselves and for their journey. We see it so much in big corporates. People abdicate their their journey of, of mm. self-determination. You know, mm. if I work hard enough, the, the company will look after me. The company's not in the business of looking after you. The company's in the business of banking, of insurance, in, of retail, whatever it is. You have to take ownership for yourself and, and see yourself. And it's helping young people today in the world out there to realize that you've, whatever play you make, whether you do go into the formal sector, whether you do play a corporate career, or you, you, you do your own business type of thing, you have to see yourself as an Arujani, as uh, PDY Limited, as a Bululani PDY Limited. How do you take what you offer to the world? And how do you continue to R&D on it and review it and, and, and package it? Is it in an increasing or diminishing market? How do you become this brand, the brand you, that you can take out there into the world and be successful? And that, to me, is what's so important into into Africa, is that people are able to rise up and realize that, that we're not just some lost our continent far from it we're a continent of light and it's about it's about enabling to engage that light galvanize it and focus it and channel it and to build there's so much amazing talent that's just sitting out there in this in these young people that are unemployed amazing amazing talent that's just not being actualized and it's i think it's a, it's a, it's shocking and and a large part of it comes back to and going a bit of an angle here but corporates for example there should be a, a flipping legislation that says that smme suppliers get paid within seven days because what happens is, no, no, we'll drag out the payment cycles, and then here are these little companies trying to thrive, trying to survive, that miss the opportunity cost because they can't get capital into their businesses, mm. don't even have the, the working cap that they need because they're not being paid on time, and they're in fact funding the big corporates. And if we could get that moving and get cash in the system, we can create those jobs and create that, that opportunities. And that's going to apply right across Africa. The continent's growing, it's exploding. We see lots of countries, amazing things happening. Even up in Ethiopia, it's, a, it's an economy on the rise. We see companies with, countries with great GDP growth. We we and so yes, I understand we've got this whole debt debt issue, but life continues. We got to continue to thrive and survive and to create opportunities for people to have families, to have children, to educate them, to feed them, and to build societies of substance. So I think, yeah, 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 no, no, go, go, go. Yeah. go. I'll I think I think now. one of the things also that Bulalani that we need to do because at the end of the day, for those who are listening, that we need to give them examples of success stories in Africa. And I know that for telecommunications, MTN has done very, very well. They're in Rwanda, yeah. they're in Cameroon, yeah. they're in Ghana, they're in Nigeria. I mean, they're in Benin and so on. Yes, they've had some problems in Nigeria. But, I mean, with 62 million customers in about 17 years, that's bigger than the population of South Africa. Now, when you look at Aliko Dangote's uh, Dangote, which is Sepaku Cement here, they have 20% market here in South Africa. They've only been in the market for five years. They have a three billion rand plant in Delmas in Mpumalanga, and that's the best plant, cement plant in, in, in Southern Africa. Okay. And then, of course, ShopRite. ShopRite has about 25 outlets in Nigeria. You, you won't believe it that people in Nigeria actually go to ShopRite the way that people in South Africa will go to Mandela Square. It's a lifestyle. So they just go to ShopRite. They dress up because 
we didn't maintain the supermarkets that were in Nigeria, the Levinses, the Kingsway stores, the Chellarams. When we were young, those were the, those were the supermarkets, but they all left when the economy went belly up. Of course, when you're talking about airlines, you have to look at Rwanda. Air Namibia is doing very well. Ethiopian is a, is a, is a market leader. They're going into Enugu in the eastern part of Nigeria. They go to Abidjan. They're doing Benin, Kotonou. So on the airline side, you see that then the banks, African banks are doing great. Uh, in West Africa, Nigerian banks are doing great. Echo Bank also is a regional behemoth. And of course, Standard Bank trading outside of South Africa, yeah. Astambic, they're doing very, very well. Mm-hmm. And of course, in commodities, there's so many companies that are doing great things in commodities, even South African companies, uh, even flowers are doing very well. There's a guy who's uh, exporting flowers because there are big weddings in Nigeria. I think mm-hmm. there are more weddings in Nigeria per capita than anywhere else in Africa. Because if you're not married at a certain age in Nigeria, people will start hiding things away from you. They'll be thinking you're not <laughs> responsible. So there's so much going on. Mm-hmm. But also, I mean, just the culture. I mean, look at music, Nollywood. Look at Nigerian music, for example. The consumption of Nigerian music has done far more. I mean, Davido just bought a jet for $27 million. I mean, and the sure. guy, yeah, he's one of the richest African uh, musicians. You know, Akon, mm. Wizkid, and of course, a Nigerian uh, uh, movie just got onto Netflix platform. Uh, I think it's called Lionheart. It's the first African movie to be on the Netflix platform. So even in the culture industries, things are really, really moving. So Africa, yes, it's not for CCs. I think it's easier to trade. If you're South African, it's easy to say, oh, let me go and trade in Botswana. But Botswana has only 2 million people. Let me go and Mm. trade in Lesotho, 2 million people. Let me go and trade in Namibia, 2 million people. But when you get to Lagos, which is just one province in Nigeria, you've got almost 30 million people. So it's common sense for you to be in Lagos. Even if you sold one item to 10,000 people in Lagos every day, that's 300,000 items a month. Mm. And even if you're making one rand profit, that's 300,000 rand a month. And Mm. 10,000 people in Lagos, no one will even notice that you're in that market. So we have to be very serious about market research, which a lot of people don't mm-hmm. want to do. When I said to a South African that um, I'm learning Mandarin, in fact, that's my Mandarin certificate in front of you. That mm. When I say I'm learning Mandarin, they say, what do you need to learn Mandarin? I said, well, maybe one day I'll get to China and I'll be able to navigate better than those who can't speak Mandarin. Mm-hmm. When I say learn Pidgin, Pidgin is spoken by about 75 million Nigerians. And every English-speaking country in West Africa can speak Pidgin. It's like Fonegalo. So, and it's a language of commerce. Because those who are not educated, what are they going to communicate with you in? So if you're Yoruba and I'm Hausa, how do we communicate if we're both uneducated and I want to buy something from you? So you speak in Pidgin, broken English. That's what it is. So we have to begin to learn those languages, Swahili, Pidgin, maybe Zulu, you know, languages that can bring you into conversations with maybe about 300 million people in one sweep. And that's the challenge for us. Wonderful. We need to learn more. Sure. Yes, Brian? No, no. I was was actually going to ask you, I've been listening to you talk and and, and so diverse, very, very exciting. And uh, your business being wine, is that a, a big growing market in Africa? Look, people drink more than the, even Kavanaugh said he doesn't, he likes beer, but he doesn't drink till he gets blackouts. I think people, you know, I just alluded to weddings. Mm. People drink when they're happy and when they're sad. Mm. If you remember Madame Veuve Clicquot, 
Yes, that's the, you know that, that quote that she said. Yes. I drink when I'm happy and when I'm sad. Otherwise, I never touch it unless I'm thirsty. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the wine market. Oh, just to it. give you some stats, in twenty thousand and seven, six hundred million dollars uh, wine imports into Nigeria. Champagne, massive. I mean, French champagne, mm. of course. And when you look at the fact that. Um, the markets were growing, the GDP was growing at about 5-6%. So people who were not drinking wine, in fact, for health reasons, people were moving away from beer to wine. And then, of course, things that also helped to move that was screw cap. So, you know, people were no longer struggling to open the bottle of wine. You know that yes, situation indeed, yeah, where exactly. you have a bottle of wine, but you can't open it and you can't break it. So what do you do? You use a knife. So you use a knife. And even when you're using the knife, you might hurt yourself. So screw cap came on. And the reason why they broke school capping was because of uh, cork taint. Yes. You know, 5% of all wines will suffer from cork taint, especially in temperatures that are really dry. So, and also I think that if you look at wine, there's so much that you can talk about. It's like art. Yeah. Infinity. You can talk about the texture, the aroma, the bouquet, the condition, the, you know, you can talk mm. about the terroir, the winemaker, maybe he's a fisherman. Who's turned, you know, like Indeed. the guy who makes yeah. Raka. Some of these winemakers are amazing characters, like Hotty Cabriel, you know, they do the sabrage, they use a, they use a sword to remove. Yes, the, I've yeah. seen that. So there's so much folklore, even in the area where they make the wine, yeah. the history of the farm, whether it's Ferkelagen or Waterford, every farm has its own unique DNA. And for that, Africa, when you go around Africa, because each country is unique, each country has its own value proposition. Each province, you know, Limpopo is different from KZN. KZN is different from Mpumalanga. You have God's Window there. You have the Drakensberg there. So you can imagine opening a different wine in every different province you go to every single day. Hmm. I mean, you could write books and books. And then you now match it with food. And, you know, Africa has so much diversity, different cultures from the Berber to the Nguni to the House of Fulani to the Yoruba. So there's nothing more powerful and logical than wine. Agreed. Ooh. So for me, <laughs> <laughs> and to those who might have missed the topic for today, we're talking business in Africa. So it's wine, we're talking trade exchange, debt, everything. So, you know, I was having, so I think this general sentiment that I get to, t- that I tend to find from, I think South Africans and mm. Some other Africans or students say that they look at this BRICS formation as, as a formation that hasn't really benefited African countries that are part of BRICS as much as, you know, it should have. You know, you get people that question. I think to, I've also come to a point where I question this because as a South African, as a young South African, I mean, we're bidding for work with one of the airlines where, where, where I think our pricing and I think also from an opportunity perspective, we're better suited than, uh, than, than, than the white counterpart, right? Yes. And an Indian yeah. counterpart. Yeah. And we are shortlisted, <clears throat> but just about to get this, this big deal. And we're then sidelined because there's another, there's a new player that's coming in town and that player is a Chinese. Mm. And now my question is how? Because we are BE level one and we're youth owned. They then say because they are BE level one and they're trumping you on the basis of price. And that totally threw me completely back. So what's your thought on, I mean, 
how do we how do we yes foster trade exchange agreements and relationships but still maintain equal opportunity for the people that are within the country that are still supposed to grow live and grow the economy so i think there's one thing this is a very cynical remark but there's a south africa boasts support reportedly the highest percentile of ceos who are cas which says that we are a run a, an economy run by accounting-minded people and who often just – I'm being very trite here, but may, there's a, a tendency to always revert back to the figures. And, of course, yes, you've got to look at the figures. You've got to look at balance sheet. You've got to look at P&L, and you've got to look at where it's going what it's doing. But so often it comes down simply to price. And I think that, that that is that's a real problem because and, – and part of it is the process in itself is a little bit flawed because maybe in and through the process, you, you, you know, you've got procurement on the one hand and the various different players in the, the tendering process, particularly a tendering process. And, and, and where is it that the attention's been given to the value that comes with it? Because and, and so importantly, I believe what you're saying in terms of giving that opportunity, we've got this whole part of the of the BE accreditation process, which is that we've got to do supplier upliftment and supplier development. There should be a strong emphasis on, on looking to say, why would we disqualify? Look for reasons not to disqualify. Look for reasons to qualify rather than disqualify. And I think very often it's that, that perspective that we come into it with. And when price becomes the, the sole factor, which it often does, then – you, it's, it's a short-term view, and very often, uh, uh, you know, the, the pain is felt afterwards when, oh dear, we made the wrong choice because you could have done something better with somebody else. And particularly when it comes down to parties coming in from outside of the country, why are you now benefiting people who, by the way, employing their people? They're not employing local people. They're doing things differently. I get very uh, distressed about it. I think yeah. that there needs to be more to the equation than just ticking the boxes around price and around that. Hmm. I think my own logic, look, I was very fortunate to be, first of all, I think that the the BRICS thing um, is not winning South Africa a lot of friends in Africa because, you see, you can't be all things to all people. South Africa is part of the AU, a part of SADC, a G20 country, and they're also, you know, of course, they're now part of BRICS and they're the junior partner in BRICS, but a lot of African countries don't even have the muscle to be able to be part of such a sophisticated economic arrangement. Mm. But in terms of the specific example that you've offered, I think that, you know, equity helps the vigilant. So if you know that there's a Chinese company that is going to tender for the same uh, stationery mm. or whatever. I like that. Equity helps the, the vigilant. vigilant. Yes, equity helps the vigilant. I mean, if you sleep on your rights, then you slept on your rights. Nobody's going to enforce your rights for you. That's why they'll say... If there's a, let's say, for example, somebody assaults you, God forbid, and the police come and they said, would you want to press charges? And you say, you're not going to press charges. The police are going to walk away and say goodbye. You understand? So if you see, and we've seen this, we've seen, I mean, we can see the emergence of the Chinese in Africa. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. But we've got to be able to say, look, in the same way that South African Caucasians will have to do a BE with a black company to be able to get a government tender is the same way that a Chinese company, no matter how cheap their price is, they've got to have a black partner. It is incumbent on the black Africans to pursue that course of action because nobody is going to, no Chinese is going to come and say, oh, Bolilani, come and be my partner. You have to find them. And many of them are in uh, Bruma. They're not hiding. 
if you go into any Chinese restaurant, mm. you're likely to find a Chinese person there. But what tends to happen with us as Africans is that we hang around with... You know, somebody said to me, Adetunji, if you want to be rich, why are you hanging around with poor people? I mean, you're, you know, that's the definition of poverty. So if you want to be doing business with the big boys, you need to hang out with them. Sometimes they might not be impressed to see you around because you don't have as much cash as they do. But at least the more they see you, the less your nuisance value will be. Yeah, I think there's, you know, sadly there's going to be a very big book written called The Unintended Consequences of Triple BEE. And it's where it's been done incorrectly and for the wrong reasons. And mm. where, where it's a matter of fronting, where it's a matter of relationships of convenience, that's not cool because we're not creating sustainability through it. We're not creating the flow through that we need to. We need to be building meaningful relationships. And I absolutely mm. agree with you. I mean, my, my company is a black owned company. I'm, I'm the founder of it. And I have a black, I'm a black owned company and I'm very proud of it. Mm. Uh, and, you know, through it, we, we've been able to get in and reach out and touch and affect the lives of the numbers of people that we did. If we didn't, I wouldn't have been able to. And, and I've, I've watched it and seen it for a very long time. And it's so important that relationships of substance goes back to once again, what's the intentionality? I'm quite happy that wealth's created on the back of it. But if it's just about the money, then the ends justify the means. And then that means that things happen where people lose, lose, you know, if you, if you, if you left Heathrow Airport, assuming you could fly to Sydney directly, and you were one degree off course when you left Heathrow, when you fly over the channel, you're not going to notice it. But when you get to where you think Sydney is, you're going to discover you're a long way from it. Mm. And very often in our pursuit of short-term gain, people lose sight of what's really important. What's really mm. important is we've got to collaborate as a, as a society in building and taking this country to the greatness that it can be. And, and that comes down to doing things with integrity, doing things with authenticity, doing things that are about – wealth's not about how much you have. It's about how much you're willing to share and how much you're able to share. That's what wealth should be measured by. So, so isn't that what they call a balanced scorecard or what do you call it? <laughs> you make sure that, yes, you're chasing the money, but you're also chasing the sustainability. Because at the end of the day, you see, what also happens is do we transfer – I mean, I know there's a lot of a lot of black people in South Africa have made money between '94 and now. Mm. Why are they transferring that wealth to the second generation and third generation? Is it sustainable? If Mosepa goes tomorrow, would there, his children be able to maintain that wealth? They talk about Donald Trump's father having been very wealthy. Um, they did all sorts of fancy things to reduce the value of the inheritance, and they claimed that it was 41 million dollars. But a few months later, they sold all those assets for $700 million. Today, he's a billionaire and he's a president. So are we really ensuring that those who are even making the money in the, in the African community, are they building generational wealth? Yeah. You understand? Because that's more important. Because even if it's a joke in terms of, oh, it's just a front, but I hope that they're building that generational wealth because that's what's going to make a difference so that your children don't have to also end up having to go and work for someone else when you are a billionaire. You understand? Hmm. You should be able to carry on that business like your wa uh, Walmart, yeah? Yeah. Mm. The Walmarts of this world, yeah. Sure. Well, you know what they say, time flies. It doesn't <laughs> even feel like an hour. It feels no, it like doesn't. 15 minutes. Yeah. We need to have a second round <laughs> to this it. conversation. This has been amazing. <laughs> and this, I think, I think for me, this is one of the most important topics to have mm -hmm. because being an Africa, being an African in Africa, and it seems like you're a visitor, in your own continent because you don't explore you don't yeah, go in true. and you don't yeah. also look out for all the opportunities around i can will I, invite you there's, I, a, I'd there's, love a, to. I would. there's a lot of things nigeria's 58 well, 58 two days ago 
So there's a lot of things happening on Saturday. In fact, there's a double header. So there's an event in uh, Parkmore, at a place called the Boca House, the Fashion House. Then there's a Nigerian restaurant opening in Randburg. So if I, I get know. your numbers, I'll send no, you. No, 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 no. I'm yeah. there. And, I'm there. <laughs> you, know the, you know the beauty Brian, of that. you're on your own. Yeah, you know the, <laughs> yeah the, beauty of the, the, the beauty of the restaurant is that, you know, Nigerians are very generous. So I said to the guy, how much is the cost of it? He said, no, it's free menu. So, yeah, so you wouldn't need to worry about it. Carry, <laughs> carrying your wallet and, and the equidistance sure. to each other. Awesome. So, yeah, so I'll send you those two. No, that'll be fantastic. Be I'm, I'm, I'm ready. Saturday. I'm Six. ready. I'm ready and happy. And yeah. <laughs> I think to all the guests out there, Africa is open for business. Let's go and explore our yeah, beautiful continent, yeah. our beautiful countries, our beautiful people and embrace the food, embrace the culture, the embrace everything, the business opportunities that are all around us. So I guess in closing, cause this is why the state of it is here. Um, we normally close the show in style So 30 seconds sure. of anything On your mind that you'd like yeah. to share With any entrepreneur, business leader yeah. CEO out there so there's, I, something, there's something sure. I feel very very strongly about And that is that uh, If you really want to build sustainability In who you are and reputation and in the world around you Everybody sells no matter who you are and what you do. Some people have to sell and get the actual number and the sign on the, on the check. But everybody's selling. And at the end of the day, never, ever simply look to sell. Always look to serve. Because if you go into the discussions and the relationships with an attitude and a heart of servitude, and you, if you go to listen, looking to serve, then you're going to listen. You're not simply going to wait to speak. And then you will hear whether or not there genuinely is an opportunity for you to add value. And in that way, you can then build uh, relationships and impact of sustainability. Look, I would like to quote, uh, close uh, my closing comments. I'd like to quote a great African who we lost a few weeks ago, uh, Dr. Kofi Annan, mm. the first black uh, Secretary General of the United Nations. Somebody referred him to, uh, to him yesterday in a tribute as the President of the World. Now, he said that there will be no security or stability in Africa without sustainable development because without sustainable development there will be no peace and security but he then said that these key pillars must be anchored on respect for the rule of law and human rights and the reason why I'm quoting this is because we've seen across Africa uh, leaders who are still abusing the rights of uh, the citizens leaders who are extending constitutions so that they can stay in office uh, countries that are being bled to death, the, the, you know, stolen blind, and the people who are running away, and you, we see them across the Mediterranean. We've seen people being taken as slaves in Libya in the 21st century, and that cannot be acceptable. And as a result, we see them in Spain, in, in, you know, in France, and in Germany. So Kofi Annan's words are very important. He, respect for rule of law, human rights, and there will be no peace and stability without sustainable development and vice versa. I like that. Ladies and gentlemen, you've had it. Africa is open for business. Thank you for so much for joining in. You can download the podcast if you missed uh, the interview today. And join us yet again next week, Wednesday, 1 to 2 p.m. Thank 360 Biz on cliffcentral.com. This is cliffcentral.com.